Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we're talking to a lady whom we hugely admire and have cited so many times on Stuff Mom Never Told You. Yes. I'm super excited for you guys to hear our conversation with rad lady journalist and podcaster Ann Friedman. Um, Kristen reached out to Ann when we were on our way out to California earlier this year on the off chance that we might be able to chat. And she said yes. And it was one of those things where you kind of like do a little happy dance, even if it's just in your brain. Uh, or in the gifts that you send each other in right, excitement. Right. Exactly. Uh you know, usually involving like champagne or Oprah or something um, to really illustrate the true depth of our excitement. Um, but we're such a fan of Anne's because she is such a fantastic writer. And that would be enough in and of itself. But she really tackles a lot of fascinating and fantastic issues around women and gender and feminism. And she's really sort of a critical voice in today's media. Yeah, I mean, and we've got to talk about Call Your Girlfriend, her fantastic yeah. podcast that she co-hosts with Amina Um They talk about pop culture, politics, feminism, This Week in Menstruation. Stuff I Never Told You fans, if you're not already fans of Call Your Girlfriend, you will be and you should be. <laughs> Yeah. And when you hear the conversation, I hope it feels like you're in the room with us having some lady chat, because I know when I re-listened to the interview, that's how it felt to me. And I was there the first time. Um, but we sort of in our in our talk with Anne, we sort of give a glimpse into what it's like to be women whose voices are public, whether that means fielding uh, responses from listeners that are on the positive or the negative end of the spectrum, or just grappling with that whole lady voice issue. You know, don't apologize. Don't say sorry. Also, stay away from vocal fry and like. Oh, just talking about the whole rule book for women's voices. And since she's full-time freelance, we also wanted to talk to her about her as a business and a brand and the issue of self-promotion, because this is something that also gets really gendered really quickly and something that women might not feel as comfortable doing. Um, but it's so crucial to the way a lot of our digital media businesses work these days. Um, and speaking of which, for people who aren't familiar with Ann Friedman, Let's talk a little bit about who she is, because we, she doesn't give like a full bio of who she is. And Caroline, I felt like such a creeper the, the other night when I was putting together, you know, this bio that we were about to share and was Googling her and ended up on her Wikipedia page <laughs> um, and, and felt like a, a huge stalker. Also, because reading the Wikipedia page. I was a little flummoxed that it left out certain things that I particularly enjoy about her work, like Lady Swagger that she talks about, like Shine Theory, all of these like cornerstones to me of, yeah. of Anne Friedman's work. I was like, who who wrote this Wikipedia page? Also, in its description um, of her as a feminist, it says that like Anne Friedman has publicly identified in speeches as a feminist. It was just very stilted. So I'm very suspicious of whoever wrote her Wikipedia page. 
But let's give a better introduction than than that Wikipedia page of who yeah. who Anne is in not her words. <laughs> Well, uh, she is a fellow J school grad. Um, yeah, Anne is an Iowa native. She studied journalism at the University of Missouri, Columbia before becoming an editor at Feministing, which is another, uh, resource that you and I have cited quite a bit on the podcast. Yeah, then she was in DC working as a deputy editor at the American Prospect and then hopped over to become the executive editor of Good Magazine, which uh, that whole thing went down in flames, not because of Anne, but because of some uh, shoddy leadership. And I highly recommend that you listen to her interview on the She Does podcast because she talks more about that experience and how it fired her up. And she used that really negative experience for her and the other editorial staffers who were laid off as something really amazing. Um, and ever since then, she's been building her freelance Lady Empire. And let's talk about what what this empire consists of. We've got her pie charts. <laughs> She's the mistress of gifts. She's a podcaster extraordinaire. Can we explain her pie charts briefly for those who haven't seen our Tumblr? <laughs> yes, please do. So I love her pie charts. They're hilarious. I have frequently posted them to our sminty Tumblr, Kristen. Um, but basically, she takes like a current event or just something she's thinking about and breaks it down. For instance, she has one. What are we doing on this airplane? Thirty uh, percent trying to open a third bag of pretzels in the least noisy and humiliating way possible. Twenty percent crying at a Pixar movie. Just things like that. And she's so funny. And so smart. And I have such a lady crush on her. And honestly, the day we met her, she was wearing the most fantastic lipstick. And I I just so badly wanted to ask her what kind of lipstick it was. But we had just met. I didn't know if it would be weird. We were talking about feminism, which, of course, you can talk about (laughs) lipstick in a conversation about feminism. But, Caroline, I was right there with you. It was this incredible, bold shade of not red Yeah, instead of just asking her about it directly, we're now talking about it on a podcast. Well, here, let me do a a, make a non creepy transition (laughs) from the pie charts. We can just hop right over. Cool. Our our lipstick (laughs) uh, admiration and mention that if you want to see her pie charts every week, become a premium subscriber to her newsletter, the Ann Friedman Weekly. Which I also highly recommend. I mean, seriously, Anne's, Anne's got it all. And that's why we were both excited, also a little nervous slash nauseous <laughs> to talk to her <laughs> in this Airbnb that we had rented in Silver Lake, which was <laughs> smaller than we thought it was going to be and also under construction. <laughs> so thank you for being a good sport, Anne, and taking the time to talk to us because obviously she's a busy woman and it was just a delight to pick her brain. So... Is it time for us to to share our convo with Anne? Yeah, I'm like seal clapping with excitement. Let's roll it. And to tee things up, we started with a question that we have shamelessly borrowed from another fabulous podcast you should listen to called Another Round. Um, Hosts Heaven and Tracy always ask their guests, what do you do and why? So we asked Anne and this is what she had to say. Both of those things have changed a lot over the years. So right at this second, what do I do? So I write things and I report things. So I ask questions and I try to answer questions. Um, 
And I also have this podcast, not this particular podcast, a different podcast, <laughs> um, where I think I, I usually, um, a lot of the things I work on come from some point of conflict or confusion within myself. It's like kind of selfish where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that, or I don't know what we should do about that. Um, or things that friends express to me, they start from a pretty personal place. Um, but I also think I have some broader goals in what I do, which is, um, one of them is just kind of saying, like, you're not crazy. The system is really rigged. <laughs> um, maybe not totally against you, but, like, set up in a certain way and trying to illuminate some of our inherited bullshit. But, yeah, so I, try, I ask questions and I answer questions and I talk about questions. That's kind of how I think about it right now. I have to ask. I, I've, I know you've answered this in your FAQs on your website, mm-hmm. but I have to ask you about Lady Swagger uh-huh. and where it came from, and what is behind the Lady Swagger ethos, and how can maybe how can other ladies get some Lady Swagger? <laughs> I think it's an, an inherent trait in in most people who identify as ladies. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's not a real thing. It's kind of a made up thing, I guess. I um, I wrote. Several years ago, like probably a little more than five years ago, there were a series of articles that were about men doing cool stuff in media. There was there were there were some about like dudes who had started out as bloggers, growing up and getting cool jobs, and then there were some about um, prestigious magazines that all had young male editors. They were referred to as editors, um, and it just it just seemed like at the time this was this was 2010 2011 that there was just this like spate of trend coverage of like men are doing things men they got it going on like in media it was really annoying so i wrote um i wrote some parody articles that were sort of you know mocking that micro trend but also highlighting work that women were doing and one of the um one of the articles about men had contained a line where they described one of these editors as having a kind of low maintenance swagger and or something like that. And so and I when I flipped the when I reversed the genders to write the parody, I wrote it as low maintenance lady swagger to describe a woman. I can't remember if it was me or another woman I was writing about. Um and I don't really know how it like how it sort of became and then it, I I used it as the tagline on my Tumblr for a long time and then um I don't know and then and then when it became I I incorporated last year um, and the, there was this question of like, you know, am I just Anne Friedman Inc. or whatever? And, or do I want a different name? I was like, I kind of would like a credit card that says Lady Swagger on it. <laughs> um, so I have that. I did that. Um, I consulted a lawyer friend and I was like, is there any reason why I shouldn't have this as my um, S Corp name? She goes, well, you'll probably only use it in tax dealings with the U.S. government. So if you could stand up in court and have the U.S. government address you as Lady Swagger Inc. And I was like, in. I was filling out the paperwork before she was done. Like, just after her advice had filled the G-chat window, I was, like, typing it out. So, yeah, that's a very long answer to say that I kind of, um, it, it was not born of, like, me inventing a term. It was a response to something. But the... The term to me just kind of means that, like, you are confident, but you're not like, guess what? I'm so confident. Like, you know, you don't have to talk about it and you don't have to, like, make other women feel like they're less put together than you to sort of be aware that you have it going on, I guess, is sort of how I see it. Now, you said um, at the beginning of your answer, like, people who identify as ladies. Mm-hmm. Do you, like, how would you define a lady, especially these days? I think it's like if you if you identify with that term, it's yeah. great. I mean, I know plenty of women who, like, some of whom identify on the more butch end of the spectrum mm-hmm. who would be like, I'm definitely a woman, but I don't call myself a lady. 
Um, I think it sort of has like a femme identity connotation. Um, I also use that identify as, so it's like clear that I'm talking about any person who might identify that way. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, 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 if there's like yeah. a lady, I don't know, a lady ethos. Because we've talked, we did a whole podcast, Hey Ladies, yeah. on like kind yeah. of the reclamation of the term and how mm-hmm. um, for second wave feminists, they were like, yeah, get away, of ladies. Yeah. And then it just means something different. Because to yeah. a lot of people, woman sounds like their mom's. And girl is is too young. And female so, is clinical. Fe- yeah, female is clinical, or you're talking about like horses or dogs or something. <laughs> and yeah, lady seems to be not not quite ironic because people really do embrace it. But almost like yeah, it's just it's a it's a like almost a term of endearment for my for my lady friends. Yeah, I mean, I use it. It's it actually I like to use it as a modifier instead of female. So instead yeah. of like female swag mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But I my grandma always says gals. She's like, "How those gals are running around with?" And I'm like, "Which gals? They're running around with a lot of gals." Um, I like gals a lot too. Yeah. As yeah. as sort of something that doesn't feel quite so formal as to say woman. Mm-hmm. I also like woman. I don't know. I don't really. I don't discriminate. Yeah. No, you know, <laughs> my, my mom is. You know, she doesn't want me to say, but she's in her late 60s, and she calls herself and all of her friends girls, mm-hmm. you know? She Why doesn't she want you to say? I think it's like, I don't know. She's obviously like your, she's, 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 I don't know. It's hard to deny you've been around a certain number of decades right. when you have adult <laughs> children, right? Like, why Why does it matter if you're like 59 or 64 or like, yeah, I don't know. It it's could weird. be, it could be the South Georgia thing, mm. you know? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know how old my mom was until um, I was a teenager because I finally like snuck into her purse and looked at her driver's Oh my god, she wouldn't tell you? She was so mad she wouldn't tell me. I at least knew. And even still, and even still she's really weird. Now it's passed along to grandkids where um, she turned 70 last year and she was like, do not tell your nieces and nephews. Uh, I was like, what? You look great for 70. You should be pumped. That's crazy. Yeah. I I would say that oh you know kids are so notorious for judging you, but my niece but actually yeah, yeah. put me through the ringer questioning me as to why I did not have children. How old are you? Uh, what job do you have? Mm. And why don't you have children? I was like, you are seven. <laughs> what is the deal? Do, were you like we like let's have a conversation? Why are you interested in whether <laughs> yeah. or not I have children? Do you have children? Did she ask about <laughs> the job first? She asked if I was in school. She asked mm-hmm. if I had a job. Okay. So she and then like, she was like kids. going through the life stages. Okay. Are, you know, she knew oh, I wasn't married. I see. I see. Yeah, she knew I wasn't married. Huh. Although I think she finds it problematic that I'm at this age and I do have a job, but I'm not married yet. That's She's ident- That's basically the cover of dozens of like Newsweek mm-hmm. li- millennial trend uh-huh. stories. You know, she's just really summed it up there. The, the confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, you're a real model for her. She's gonna get to she's gonna get to an age where she has a job but doesn't have kids and be like, oh yeah, oh Aunt okay, yeah, wasn't so weird. Was well, right. she's weird for other reasons, but not that. One. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, my uh, my nephews were worried about me for a really long time before I got engaged, which my sister informed me. I was like, oh, cool. How old like, are they? They were like ten. What? Yeah. <laughs> this is treasure. Um, wow. From children. <laughs> but back to you, Anne. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I've never had a child question my empty womb. <laughs> it's strange. <right? laughs> yeah. Like, it makes you wonder. Yeah. Like I'm like who, who? Where are they absorbing like these messages? I mean, everywhere. Yeah, that's everywhere. Yeah. But. Yeah. So away from away from our empty wombs, um, <laughs> we did want to ask you about the aspect of self promotion as mm-hmm. like you know Lady Swagger Inc. Um, 
kind of how how you approach that and your feelings around it. Um, you know, you, you wrote the piece in New Republic about self-branding and how kind of like awkward and bizarre that is. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, I guess part of it is um, that if I write something that I'm proud of, I want people to read it. It's on a basic level of like, I worked hard for this in the same way um, in the same way I am interested in like hearing about my friend's work and supporting it when I can. Um, I, I don't really have, I, I swear to God, honestly, like a negative flip side of that where I'm like, Oh, Caroline is my friend, but she hasn't shared any of the last five articles that I, you know, I don't really keep tabs on it that way, but I, I guess I tend to think that people who I know will want to know when I'm proud of something that I've done. So that's like on a basic level. Um, I also think that as a freelancer, if you are not talking about the work that you're doing, it makes it harder to get more work. So, you know, there is, I guess you can call it self-promotion, but part of it is also, like, because my work is scattered across so many different outlets, I'm sort of the one place you can get it all. It's like, you know, the if, if I want an editor to know what I'm all about and to assign me great work, I want them to be able to come to a website where I've cataloged all of it or come to my Twitter feed and see what I'm thinking about lately. And, um, and that's, that's different than just me fire hosing what I've made out into the world. It's also me, you know, tweeting about things I'm thinking about or, um, or using, using my website to hi highlight other work that I'm doing. And um, so I don't know, I guess I think of it as like just being a part of public spaces on the internet. And some of that is sharing what I've made and some of that's sharing what other people have made. And some of that is a lot of that is consuming what other people have made. It's not, I don't know. And, and um, some of the more concrete questions about that that I wrote about in that article for the New Republic, which um, are, which sort of get into details of how do you talk about yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, it's stuff that is like, oh, okay, if I incorporate as Lady Swagger, am I going to like make it an email address and make it a public thing? Or is it just in the documents and hidden away? And, you know, the answer to that is like, I think it's fun. So it's, you know, semi-public, I guess. It's like, I, I bought the domain for sure. Because like, don't ever create a corporation and don't buy the domain name. There's anything my friend Amina has taught me, always buy the domain. <laughs> always. <laughs> um... So yeah, I don't know. It gets a little thornier when you start to think about questions of like, what do, what am, who am I as a brand versus mm -hmm. who am I as a human you're sitting in the room with? Um, and frankly, I don't usually go that far down that path. It's but but on questions of pure promotion, I think usually people are overthinking it or being super weird if they think it's only promotion. Mm -hmm. It's like usually just being on social media in, in, in a holistic way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like there's not much conflict for you between the line of authenticity and the fakery of just being like, oh, I'm just like almost like a used car salesman, just like throwing my work out there. I don't ever feel like that. And if I write things that I'm not that excited about, I don't push them very hard mm -hmm. or I don't share them. You know, they're sort of the easy, like whatever publication I write it for, will tweet it. And then I can just retweet it and go about my day. I don't really make an extra effort to, to put it out into the world. I mean, I, there are definitely things that I mean, I'm not like, okay, time to get back on the self-promotion treadmill, like, every morning, you know, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like that. And also, I like, you know, I, my, my column this week, for example, um, is something I've been thinking about writing for a long time, and so when I finally wrote it, I'm interested in hearing what other people are saying about it. And there, there have been a couple of points where I'm just like, oh, I wish I could go back and revise and include these, like, three great things that people said about it, and, you know, I wouldn't have that feedback if I were not 
you know, pushing it out into the world. I mean, yes, like the New York magazine does some of that, but if I were not interacting with the people who were talking about it, I would miss out on this whole dimension of the topic. Wait, so what's the topic? So I wrote about this idea of um, finding yourself in a, in a role at work, whether it's because it's part of your explicit job description or whether it's because it's just kind of like where you end up falling in the office ecosystem of being the person who always says no to everything. So like mm. you're in a meeting and someone's like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if we just like set up a carnival outside and started selling tickets to that? And that's how we plugged our budget deficit. And you know, you're the one who's like, well, I don't know if we're zoned for that. And like, you know, like <laughs> you find yourself, you know, because of office Debbie Downer kind of. Yeah. But, but I, I don't know. It was sort of about how like, um, how that role is sort of invisible administrative work that often gets assigned to women, in part because of um, the actual roles they tend to occupy, but also sometimes because, like, you know, you could be sitting, it's definitely happened to me where I've been the only woman in a room with a lot of men who are presumably co-equal to me um, in terms of the office org chart, but I'm the one taking notes from the meeting. And then when, when you're the one taking notes, a friend of mine pointed this out, you know, you are the one who's like, oh, this doesn't add up, or or whatever. And so you're the one who's sort of like, hey, hey, guys, actually, this brilliant idea that you're all really excited about right now, it's not going to work for this reason. And then it's just, wah, wah. Anyway, so, um, and that can be kind of exhausting, saying mm-hmm. saying no a lot. There are historically a lot of ways women are forced or have been expected to say no in, like, the sexual realm or, like, moderating what they're supposed to be eating or, like, you know, like, just think about everything a woman's magazine has ever told you about anything, like, classically. Um, and and I was just talking about how that happens at work. And so, yeah, and so there, there have been comments from women who are, you know, have found themselves in that role. Someone said, yeah, it's like Wendy and the Lost Boys, you know, all over again. I was like, I didn't even think to mention ah. Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. You're so right. Like, Peter Pan is, like, obviously a trope of young male Brooklynites, <laughs> but I hadn't really thought about, like, yeah, it's, like, totally Wendy and the Lost Boys. So just, like, little gems like mm-hmm. that where I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I might not revisit this topic next week, but if I ever do revisit it, that's just, like, the perfect little metaphor. Yeah. So that. Yeah. I mean, how can, how, or should, like, how can women escape those sort of office (laughs) expectations? Like, can they, or should they? Okay, well, here's something else someone said to me, which I did not even think to include in the article, is, like, numbers. You know, if there are, if there are more than, um, you know, one woman in that meeting, chances are that there's not one person always expected to take notes and that the person is always mm-hmm. you because you're the woman. You know, diversity is something that can, can help with this a little bit. Um, I also think that, like, the way um, right now a lot of roles are assigned in the office um, due to just, like, ingrained sexism, men have a lot more freedom to be like, you know, I have the year of the CEO. Like, let me hit you with this crazy idea or whatever. You know, I mean, like a lot of the way networks work right now disadvantage women. Um, And so having stronger networks of women, first of all, like women truly supporting each other at work, um, but also just having in sheer numbers more women in leadership roles. I mean, the one of the points that I made here is like, yeah, yeah, we know that like of you know, secretarial and administrative assistant positions, 95% of them are women. That's like Department of, not 95, sorry, 75% are women. That's Department of Labor statistics. That's not like feminist, like, <laughs> you know, whatever perception. But but one of the things about this being the no woman is that they're frequently higher on in sort of a leadership role, which is something that I experienced. I was like, oh yeah, I'm not the secretary, but I'm still mm-hmm. the one. Um, and so... 
I don't even remember what the question was and why I was talking about that distinction, but I do think that there is something about diversity and strength in numbers and just general women's advancement helping to, you know, make this less of a phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah, it was a question of, like, women resisting that role of doing it. But it's an important role. I mean, that's what I couldn't decide either. You know, it's obviously a valuable role. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't want to set up a carnival outside. Like, that would be a waste of our budget. Like, we couldn't get the permits. Whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, someone has to be the one to say it. And and ultimately, those roles are really valuable. It's just a question of, do you feel like... You know, it, it always falls to you to be the one to call that out. I mean, it's tough. I don't I don't have or the answer. Do you feel comfortable saying, guys, this is not going to work? Right. And do other people respect you for it? And if they mm-hmm. don't, is it because of your gender? Or is it just because they just want to put up a freaking carnival? Right. Or <laughs> do you say, guys, this is not going to work because you know you're going to be stuck like cleaning up after it when it doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that that was something that I ran up against um in my last job is that I had, I had bosses who would be like, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome? And then, yeah, go make it happen. And I, I was, my, my choices were tell them in the moment, no, it can't happen Mm -hmm. for these really, you know, not fun reasons or, you know, try to make it happen. I'm air quoting. You can't see me on the podcast. Try to make it happen and then fail through action and then be like, well, you know, either way I'm wasting my time and it's annoying. And I don't know. I mean, I think that the fundamental problem is probably just the male ego. And like, we're all working to solve that every day. (laughs) (laughs) Women are working very hard to solve. Some men are also working. Some men are also working. Absolutely. I think we just summed up the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. But speaking of women in the office and also at large, um, we wanted to talk to you about this whole concept of the female voice. Mm. because you have been interviewed a lot and talked a lot about this whole trend of women being policed for their speech of, um, you know, stop saying sorry, stop saying just, you know, the whole um, Google extension that will empower your email Mm -hmm. speech and curious to know your thoughts (laughs) on that because that's also something that you've talked about on the podcast too. Yeah, we get a lot of mail from people who say, you know, I'd take you so much more seriously if you didn't say like every third word. Do you guys get that mail too? Not as much, but um, we'll we'll get it with uh, what you used to get. Oh. <laughs> she used to get letters like right when I came on the podcast uh-huh. using the word like, of course. Um, uh, used to get letters from people saying you've got to stop saying if you will. Oh yeah, it was the weirdest thing yeah, because that's not even a crush. traditional. But we do we do get dinged for like. Uh, Mine is, um, as I, I went through like, um, a, just like an exercise in almost masochism and went through some, um, a bunch of iTunes comments and I was specifically, no, why don't do <laughs> that? Don't do that. <laughs> it was for the purpose of an essay I was writing. And so I was looking at them from like, uh, I wanted the very worst. And a lot of them um, were complaining about these these accents, fake accents that I will slip into. Okay, for the record, Kristen has great voices, and I, as her co-host, love them. And her friend in life, I love her voices. Yeah. So that, but that's like that's my um, my like. But yes, long anyway. Like, short answer, real long. Yes, we get judged on our voices. Right. So my view on all kinds of verbal tics, whether they're used by men or women, is that it's great to pay attention to how you talk and why. And I think sometimes when I'm nervous, I use more of them. I mean, I'm a human being. We all tend to do that. And so it can be nice to be aware of that as a thing. Oh, I'm saying like a lot. Maybe it means I'm nervous right now. Or, you know, and Mm -hmm. just self on a level of self-awareness, I don't think it's bad to think about 
the filler words you use and the way you speak. Um, what I do have a problem with is the implication that if women just strip certain phrases or certain constructions or certain words from their emails, that they will magically be taken more seriously um, for the content of what they're saying. And that, I think, is really misguided. It like It's sort of like saying... Every woman has done the thing where you're like, I would not wear that to the office or I would not wear that to a mm-hmm. professional event. You know, everybody judges. Um, but, you know, in where when would you argue that, like, if you were dressed in a certain way, you shouldn't be heard or you shouldn't be taken. So, you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. sort of. And so I think that the same thing kind of applies. Like, think about, you know, how you are perceived for how you're talking. Like, consider it. Maybe you don't want to use the same um, little verbal crutch that you that you tend to fall into just for clarity of communication but you know what like you get nervous you also want to express yourself Mm. authentically the way you talk to your friends and i think that a lot of the advice on this front is is sort of adding to a long list of women of things women are already asked to consider Mm -hmm. when they present themselves to the world and it would probably be a lot better if we were all just a little calmer about that. And people who are on the listening end of it mediated their own biases about what it says about the intelligence of the women who are speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the speaker maybe focus on confidence and feeling comfortable. Yeah, or just take a breath and a pause. I mean, I think um, I, I, I definitely say like quite a bit. I say it more often when I'm trying to figure out exactly how I feel about something or what I want to say about it. Um, and so for me, it's, oh, yeah, maybe I should just slow down a little. I'm a fairly fast talker. Maybe I should just pause right now instead of trying to, like, ramble through it, um, which doesn't mean that I don't think you should take me seriously if, you, if I decide to say like a bunch of times instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's, yeah, so if you're, if you're, if you're the speaker, um, maybe just notice when you're doing it and decide if it really is a problem or if it's someone else's problem. Chances are it's someone else's problem. And if you're a listener, um, get over it. Yeah, I was I was fist pumping in my bathroom when I was listening to the Call Your Girlfriend episode when you y'all read the yep. the letter yep. from the Australian feminist basically saying like I'd love you guys even more if or you're undercutting your authority mm-hmm. with all of the verbal um, ad libs and Amina <laughs> like having none of it yeah and I was like she's saying everything that I wish Caroline could could yeah. say sometimes because and it was great. To hear because, uh, yeah. Well, it's really, it's, it's actually real really difficult because, you know, for example, I don't think that that one listener, I mean, she's a stand in for a lot of mail that we get. And so mm-hmm. I do feel bad sometimes, or people will tweet things at us that will just make us irate, like, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, <laughs> where you don't really want to lay into one person because I understand that it, you are one person. You don't deserve, we have a bigger platform than you do. Like in this situation, her sending us a letter and us calling it out on the air, like we're the big fish. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, when it becomes a pattern or when it, you know, when it's sort of a perfect distillation of a lot of the mail you get, or a lot of the things people imply about what would make your podcast better. Um, that's when it just is there. It does hit a little bit of a tipping point sometimes. So I would also encourage people to just think about how you must sound, whoever you are, male or female, old or young, how you must sound talking to your friends. Oh yeah. And yeah. that you shouldn't necessarily expect like NPR style PBS delivery well, just, because, <laughs> just because it's a podcast. Well, and I think that people, I mean, to be totally honest, the thing that has, made our podcast well received is the fact that it is conversational in a real way. It's not like, 
hey, sister, how's it going? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? There's not, it's obviously we just talk to each other the way we talk to each yeah. other. And so, you know, um, and this is what I was sort of getting at. Yeah, it makes sense to, to, to think about how we're using words because we do want to express ourselves clearly on the podcast, but not at the expense of the conversational tone that makes it great. And mm. authenticity and how you yeah. actually would want to address each other. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, I don't think women sound stupid when they say like. <laughs> so I don't feel bad about saying it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, truth is, I've heard plenty of guys say it. This is oh my not God, completely. It's, it's not as if like is the sole provenance of women. Women just exist in the world of like. Oh, I mean, completely. Yeah. And I, I interviewed a bunch of linguists for the article that I wrote about this. And they were saying that, yeah, men have just as many like ticks use just as many filler words as women tend to. It is honestly only advice levied at women that that is it's like this false hope for being taken more seriously. Oh, if you can only stop saying like, if you could only like, you know, wear a shirt that was slightly higher cut or whatever, if mm-hmm. you could only like, you know, drink with the dudes that, that, you know, whatever, I don't know what it is. Like whatever dumb thing that people say is not sexism that is keeping women down, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like another one on the laundry list. Yeah. Well, speaking of call your girlfriend to take it back a couple steps, mm-hmm. um, we had read that it sort of started a little bit on a lark at the suggestion of your producer and you and Amina also wanting to like experiment with audio formats. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of wondering why, why you even wanted to experiment to begin with. Um, I don't know. We're both, we both just, I mean, this is going to sound, this is so, this is so cheesy. We both like trying new things, <laughs> but for real though. So our, our producer, uh, Gina is, is really brilliant. And at a certain point when a smart person who is really skilled in a certain area says, I think you guys would be good at this and I want to work with you. You have to be a fool to just keep saying no. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think once we decided what we wanted to call it, then it was over. We kind of, we kind of sort of talked about it for a while and she, she poked us about it and suggest, (laughs) suggested it for a while. But when we decided that we wanted to call it that and we were like, Oh yeah. And then it could just be a call between us. We wouldn't even have to like, you know, set it up, set up a format. We could just call each other. That's when we were like, okay, we could actually do this. Yeah. Well, what have you guys, I'm really interested to know what you guys have learned about each other. Maybe that you wouldn't have figured out if you guys were just having a drink somewhere or a cup of coffee somewhere. Like you've specifically uncovered something about your friend because you have to have these conversations (laughs) in this particular format. Yeah. It's weird. It's, it's actually, it's not that it's deepened our friendship because if you listen, we don't really get personal. I mean, we are very, we are personable, but you know, we don't really talk about, you don't really know who each of us is sleeping with or like whether what's going on in terms of like, are we happy? Are we sad? Is it a tough time? Is it a fun time for us? You know, that, that stuff is like only really the surface level personal details make it out. So I wouldn't say that like, um, the content of what we talk about has led us to know each other better. I do think that the the thing is, and I'm sure you guys have experienced this too, is we're business partners now, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, we definitely, it is, it is, it is, you know, financially speaking, not really business yet, but in terms of, you know, we, we have a regular thing that we're committed to doing together and there are like increasing amounts of responsibility that have to, to do with that. And so I think that I'm learning about both Amina and Gina as like coworkers. And you know what? They're great coworkers. If everyone I've ever worked with was as great a coworker as they are, I mean, we are like, you know, our Google doc game is like so tight and, and, you know, and, and we are all really on top of it. I think that I've done a lot of passion side projects where it can be hard to wrangle everyone involved. And, um, 
And we're just like, we're there. If we make a meeting, we're there. Mm -hmm. If someone says that they're going to follow up on something, 95% of the time they follow up on it and make it happen. And so I think that a lot of what I've learned is just this, this not so much as a friend, but like this whole other dimension of people who I already really liked and respected. And that's been cool. I'm wondering, um, since you all hear from so many, um, air quotes, baby feminists, Uh if there are, um, certain themes to the questions and quandaries that they ask you all, or just like topics that especially resonate. A lot of them are based on, things that we've already talked about on the show. So, you know, it'll be someone has a workplace dilemma or, um, you know, we get questions about friendship a lot. I had a falling out with a friend of mine or we're not as close as we used to be or I just moved somewhere. How do I make new friends? A lot of a lot of them kind of deal with, with friendship as a topic. But there's there's a strain there's sort of a strain of the questions we get that are just like Anna and Amina fix my life, <laughs> like, like like a very like like own network show type <laughs> type situation um, where no we get a lot and and um, that are like I could sort of give you the outlines like hey Anna and Amina I've been listening to the show for a while it seems weird to write you this email but you know like there's always a bunch of caveats yeah. and then it's like I'm nineteen twenty twenty one twenty two twenty three definitely in that age range. Um, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, you know, I don't know who I'm supposed to be dating. Men kind of suck. Am I even supposed to be dating men? What should my major be? I don't feel passionate about anything, but I have so much to give the world, but I am passionate. You know, I mean, they're kind of like this everything question. Um, and we, we try, you know, I'm trying to remember right now, we answered one of them and I can't remember if, if it was like a microphone malfunction and we lost the answer or if it was too long and it ended up getting cut and will end up appearing in a future episode. But we took one of them. Um, and you know, interestingly, that's like a lot of the, the mail from young women that I get to my personal account as well. It's just kind of this general, everything seems to suck. What do I do? And I'm just like, yeah, everything just sucks when you're that age. Like I always just write, like it just sucks to be, (laughs) to be that age. It's really hard. It's like everything is up in the air and you have no money. And you know, it's, it's really hard to like, there's the older you get, the more, the more the steps behind you start to look like they were a dedicated path, you know? (laughs) And, and you know, when, when you haven't had that many steps to put behind you yet, it can be hard to sort of look back and be like, okay, like maybe now I can look forward based on where I've been. Um, so I just try to sort of send that. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I also try to describe like, you know, let me tell you about the disaster show that was my life when I was 22. You know what I mean? Just like, which is, which is not to say, which is, which is only a reminder that, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's easy to see the stuff in, in retrospect, (laughs) not so much at the time. Yeah. So I don't know. That's, that's like a theme that is real. Yeah. We get a lot of really great feedback from listeners whenever we share our screw ups. Yeah. Yeah. Our, the things that we struggled with we, now or when we were younger, because a lot of people just love to hear like, oh, oh it's so important. Oh, yeah. these people that like yeah. I listen to in my ear earbuds that I think are like so important because they have a podcast like, oh, they struggled with that too. Or, yeah, totally. They have pimples too, or they like didn't know what they wanted to major I in. have this weird patch of dry skin over my eyebrow right <laughs> yeah. now that I'm just like, am I molting? Like, yeah. what is going on? I shouldn't have winter skin. It's LA. It doesn't even get cold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Not I mean, perfect. We get great feedback <laughs> from people because I think that people are so refreshed and pleasantly surprised when they are presented with authenticity. Mm-hmm. And I think that our feedback shows that. And I mean, um, that makes me curious, like what, what do you guys get 
super responses to. Is there something that you talk about in particular or a tone or a theme or overarching topic that people just super respond to? Yeah, I think that, well, we get we get lots of mail from people that basically thanks us for talking about electoral politics and the mm. Kardashians or like, <laughs> yeah. you know, essentially recognizing that um, that women slash people can be interested in all these variety of things at once. Um, so that that's sort of one thing. Um, personal stories definitely get get emails. Um, when we when we talk about when we talk about anything medical, people totally want to tell us. Well, here's what I'm putting in my vagina, uh-huh. or that's not what my doctor told me, or whatever. You know, like there's the medical stuff, and in part because we are openly and semi deliberately kind of ignorant, we're like, let me ask Google MD what what this problem is, or whatever. You know, um, doctors write us and are like, please don't say that. Um, <laughs> but um, and then, and then sometimes, like um, you know, there will be there will be a segment that um, that speaks to something that's happening in the news in a slightly more nuanced way, or because we can approach it conversationally. We had the journalist Rebecca Traster on, who's a friend, who's a personal friend of both of ours, and is awesome. Um, she talked a little bit about like. Hillary and Bernie and like her like conflicting feelings about both of those like camps and um and we got mail from a lot of people who were like oh yeah like that I support insert Bernie or insert Mm -hmm. Hillary or whoever and that put it in a new light for me we got an email from a friend of ours who works in politics and is like uh, a hardcore Hillary hater who was like you really made me rethink not how I feel about her, but how I respond to her publicly and like how, what the narrative is. Mm -hmm. And like, that was really cool. Um, so sometimes it is like about the more sort of substantive, serious stuff, not so much the personal anecdotes. Um, but yeah, there's really a range and, and mostly it's like, you know, we'll mention something like a weird aside and someone will be like, I'm also from that part of Iowa and have a mole (laughs) on the right butt cheek or whatever. You know what I mean? Like people, people are really looking to identify with like whatever, you know, which is cool, which is really cool. It's like, you know, when, when you, when you stack up all of like my life experience and demographic details and all of Amina's, like there's, we actually probably overlap with a lot of women. So you can imagine the mail we get like that. Caroline, that seems like the perfect transition point back into the Stuff I Never Told You studio for our listener mail. But of course, first, we want to thank Anne again so much for talking to us. And even though she wasn't there, Amina, thank you, too. Thank you for (laughs) making Call Your Girlfriend with Anne Friedman. Um, Y'all need to go right now to callyourgirlfriend.com and or anfriedman.com and get on these ladies' radars, or get these ladies on your radar. Or, I mean, if you can get on their radar, then that's amazing, too. Yeah. Call everyone. Call get, all of your girlfriends. Get on all the radars. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> and I know that there are a lot of Call Your Girlfriend and Anne fans listening, so send us your fan mail. Momstuff at com is our email address. You can also tweet us at Podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. Hey, Caroline, you know what time it is? What time is that? Time for me to brag about my personal website that I built with Squarespace. Oh, good. I hear it was really easy. It was so easy, Caroline. Not even kidding. I don't 
know how to code beyond very basic HTML skills. And that was totally fine because Squarespace offers so many intuitive tools and beautiful designs for you to choose from that my personal website, kristenconquer.com, looks like Maybe I hired someone, or maybe I'm just really good at building websites. Nice. I love a good illusion. (laughs) Me too. So to get in on the Squarespace action, listeners, because really, who doesn't need a website these days? Head on over to squarespace.com and use the code MOMSTUFF for 10% off your first purchase. And if you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. That's perfect. What more could I want? Nothing, Caroline, except maybe 10% off your first order at Squarespace by using the code MOMSTUFF. And now back to the show. Well, I have a letter here from Myra. It is a bit of a correction from our disability and sexuality episode. Myra says, just a quick note. I also tweeted as I was listening to your disability podcast about a common but potentially serious error. Learning disabilities and mental disabilities are conflated in your podcast. That's not a fair thing to do, and those who have learning disabilities may well catch it and wince. Learning disabilities never involve lower or slower intelligence or brain damage. People with learning disabilities can be geniuses and can often be expected to work to the same standards as non-disabled people in much more complicated tasks than people with many mental disabilities. I have great respect for people with Down syndrome, for instance, and accommodating these people matters to me, but they are not in the same category of disability as someone with ADD or dyslexia or Asperger's syndrome or my own learning disability, and to imply so demeans the potential and flexibility of what I or anyone else with a learning disability can, with proper accommodation, be expected to do. Many people and even scholars make these errors, so it's understandable, but please take note that it's the wrong language and causes problems for people in the same way that conflating physical and mental disabilities does. Thanks, and I love that you're dealing with this topic. And thank you, Myra. We appreciate it. Well, I've got a letter here from Maya about our episode on Anita Hill, and she writes, Thank you so much for your episodes on the legal history of sexual harassment and the legal battle of Anita Hill. Per usual, I enjoyed learning all the information you brought to the podcast. This week, however, I reached a new level of shocked at how much I didn't know about what I didn't know. As a black female graduate student at the University of Oklahoma, I was flabbergasted to find out I'd never heard the name Anita Hill. It appears this legal war was waged at the perfect place and time to get left out of the majority of the national conversation on equality in the workplace. It was long enough ago for many to stop talking about it, but still too recent to be in our history books. That being said, I don't think any textbook publishing company has the brass to include such a controversial conversation about a current Supreme Court judge. Though I can't wait to see Kerry Washington take on this powerful role, I can't help but wonder who else have we forgotten? I can't wait to call others into this conversation because now that I know better, I need to do better. Well, thank you so much, Maya, and we are really excited to watch Kerry Washington's confirmation as well, hitting HBO very soon. And with that, dear listeners, you know where to email us, momstuff at howstuffworks.com is the address. And for links to all of our social media, as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts with our sources, so you can learn more about the fabulous Ann Friedman, head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 